2002 Supervision presents Digital Nitrate, a video podcast with Chandler and Joel. Hey, Joel. Hey, Chandler. I, uh, I'm back from the garage and they managed to uh, fix our Honda Civic. Uh, how, how about we take it on a nice little drive? Oh, I'm thinking we take it on a road trip. Ray Hayakawa finds herself alienated in a convenience store only to end up in a four-day odyssey of sex, puke, and trucking. Now Amori plays our freewheeling trucker, Takatoshi Okabe, who brings Rei into his truck as they explore the Japanese highway system and each other's bodies. As the miles rack up, Rei comes to better understand herself through Takatoshi, but every road comes to an end. So what did you think, Joel? Uh, I mean, it's a very depressing film, but I don't think that is bad for it. I think it's very, uh, like when I first watched this, uh, I was perusing film posters. That's how I find a lot of things. Of course. The poster itself is very sort of dimly lit. It's got that sort of early 2000s depression aesthetic that, uh. Definitely. Very productive. Very provocative. I hear you typing. <laughs> it's a little bit distracting. It's like, um, I've seen a lot of photography of, like, uh, Britain in that age, which was very, like, industrialized and everything was very concrete. And the film itself does kind of have that depressing tone over it. It wants to be at least a little bit uplifting by the end, but I don't know if it quite gets there. Visually speaking, this film is is very bleak. I mean, uh, it's shot mostly in on roads, around roads, in cities. The coloring is always very dim. A lot of, like, blues. Not a lot of bright moments in this film. I would say definitely the film is, is not, the, not the happiest. Not the happiest film. I think it works towards that end because this isn't a film that suggests there is a magical way out of our problems it does it feels very magical i think though it uh the way the, especially the way it uh positions truckers definitely truckers are i mean truckers are magical i think of like tampopo with like truckers of the modern cowboy mm. it's very uh this would make a great double feature with tampopo actually while the truckers themselves or these these figures themselves are magical uh they are not you know you could almost throw it back to sort of like a white knight trope in a fantasy novel, right? Like they they maybe come in and appear, you know, for to use something like Tampopo. You know, he comes in and he reluctantly helps Tampopo build up her ramen shop. In the end, he leaves, though, because, you know, it's sort of the right thing to do. And Tampopo has built herself up enough where she can independently support herself, you know, Um I believe the same happens very much in this film where uh, Ray, I think, maybe wants, you know, the moment with now to start Takatoshi to live on forever. But it's best that in the end, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, Yeah, we're going to be saying spoilers for all of these films. So uh, yeah, watch the films. Go watch them. Definitely. Yeah, the spoilers aren't that bad. In the end, they part ways. I think that is more compelling 
I have personally sort of learned from these films what it's like to have these kind of fleeting experiences with other people. And I think that these movies, Tempopo and Vibrator, uh, sort of help you appreciate those uh, temporary relationships that you find, especially in your adult life. This, could, this is going to sound like a criticism, but I think the film wants me to think that the ending is happy. But I really just do not get that from the ending at all. Not even just in the sense that he leaves, because that kind of had to happen. It was the inevitable end place of the film, was they go their separate ways and they've changed each other. But uh, just the way it's framed, she like, goes back to a, a regular life. Maybe I can just associate with the fact of feeling stuck somewhere you don't want to be because I'm stuck in the worst uh, the worst island on the planet. Yeah, there is sort of a theme of travel as therapy, travel as a way to sort of uh, break out of a rut. Uh, race definitely learns a lot on her journey. It is sort of it's almost like a hero's journey in a way, you know, leaving her familiar world and gaining knowledge from her companion and they 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 encounter sort of uh, perils along the way sort of obstacles not nothing like major <laughs> mostly just um you know the the one that comes to mind is them having to divert their path uh because they're over their their cargo is overweight and they they uh had to avoid a a police check for weight um <laughs> I don't know whether the extended time they have to spend in the truck obviously then leads to her having a lot more time with her thoughts because mm. it's very much her talking to him is what is distracting her from her inner monologue, which as soon as she gets into the truck at the beginning, the inner monologue she's had goes quiet and like it stays quiet throughout the film, which is a nice little touch. Yeah, a lot of this film is dialogue. It is, yeah. You can tell it's adapted from a book. Definitely. You know, a lot of the perils, I guess you could say, maybe to pull it back to that, is that they aren't like physical perils, but rather the perils of, you know, finding yourself, coming to terms with yourself, and also learning about another person. Uh, in this film, you know, Ray really wants to find out a lot about Takatoshi, but Takatoshi's a little more reserved, you know, doesn't seem to be saying the whole story. Yeah, well, he's telling lies about himself, and he's, he, uh, he lies about himself, right? His fake marriage and his fake daughter and his fake stalker, especially. Yeah, exactly. And so the perils become the perils in relationships. Um, I think, especially in a more modern context you know vibrator 2003 so not quite up to our standards of modern relationships but technically ancient at this point practically practically ancient um but technically at the time we started to get these ideas of you know we get a lot of instances of people feeling very reserved about telling their stories letting people into their lives and a lot of this film is sort of growing due to the knowledge that we gain from other people or even just the time that we spend with other people uh it's definitely a shockingly erotic movie i would say 
are a lot of uh, back of the truck sex scenes, which is surprisingly intimate because of just how close the camera has to be. There's no room in the truck to back up the camera at all. Definitely. I, I, I'm surprised we got this far without mentioning that. It's definitely the <laughs> crux. That's, that's sort of the crux of this whole thing is the uh, sexual relationship between the two leads. I mean, the film's called Vibrator. Um, right. It, it might not uh, be very specifically about vibrators, but it, it comes to mind. Definitely the, the, the vibrations between the two of them. The vibrations of the truck on the road. Yeah, there's something sexual about it. And the vibrations of the heart. Damn. It's a um, very real and raw uh, relationship that they share, isn't it? That um, very open and... Yes, this is a film that is not embarrassed about its sexuality, but it's also not one that is, you know, vulgar. Yeah, it's not looking for that uh, hardcore jerk-off audience at yeah. all. It's very uh, sort of um, sensual. It's, yeah. Uh, yeah. It just also happens to be named Vibrator. <laughs> yeah, this this film is definitely for the mental masturbators. <laughs> <laughs> It really, like, they make it, they make trucking seem like such a sexy profession. Right. And the way that uh, Nawamori, the way he looks and the way he plays it. Oh, yeah. And I only know him from, like, Itchy the Killer, and it's insane the difference between him in that film and him in this film. <laughs> it's, like, unapproachable nerd versus hottest man alive. It's such a wide uh, difference between those two films. Definitely, it plays very interesting characters. Also, uh, his character in R100, uh, which also stars Shinobu Terajima. Uh, he's this super fucking, like, tied-down, geeky businessman who just so happens to enjoy sadomasochism. It's like the perfect mix between his characters in Itchy and in Vibrator, I guess. Yeah, kind of. this is kind of the, the love child of the two. And of course, uh, on the subject of actors... We get for for maybe maybe a minute maybe two minutes we get a uh, Tomoro Taguchi which is very fun for uh, mm. Shinya Sukamoto fans. I love that guy, but I really don't think he's been in that much other than Tetsuo. That's his like only real leading role, I think. Yeah, very unfortunate. We need to see him. We need to give this guy a, a Brendan Fraser esque uh, revival. I w I always wonder if he is popular in Japan and if these are cameo appearances mm. or if he's only really popular like just between the two of us frankly because we both fucking love Tetsuo so yeah I wouldn't wonder how popular he actually is who knows I uh, I have in my notes I called this the evil Tampopo it kind of it kind of is like the Almost be it is like a like an anti Tampopo because in Tampopo the trucker leaves his truck and enters Tampopo's world, but in this the Tampopo character enters the trucker and follows the trucker, right? So I, I think evil is a very very good way to look at it, and obviously <laughs> just you know Juzo Atami is a is a first time a pretty provocative filmmaker. And uh, has made some some pretty gnarly things, but uh, you know this this makes this certainly makes uh, any Juzo Atami film blush in comparison. But it's it's raw depiction of uh, fingering a woman in the back of a truck. Definitely don't see that. No, 
You don't at all. Don't see that enough in today's pictures. <laughs> I wanted to uh, ask you, uh, mm. do you think this was shot on video? It's a genuine question because I cannot for the life of me work out whether this was shot on video or not. If it was, like, God bless, I've seen some crap <laughs> shot on video. I've seen cannibal cookout, violent shit, prehistoric bimbos. Uh, it's really refreshing to have a well-thought-out film shot on video. I I, uh, I want to see that more, but then again, I do love uh, just the, some of the crap that's put out on videotape. Definitely want to see more shot on video that's like, you know, has effort in it. But I, I could see this being shot on film, sort of definitely in the right time frame, 2003. I mean, maybe it's just like 16 millimeter because I I know that that's I've 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 been confused before the 16 millimeter looking like videotape. Yeah, uh, but it, if anything, it has even if it is shot on film, it has a very much a video feel, right? A video aesthetic, a video kind of sensibility, you know. It feels like it could be documentary-esque, honestly. It's so, like, there's a, a helicopter shot in it once that's really nice, and there's a few, like, uh, there's a few artistic shots in it, but a lot of it is very just matter-of-fact. Cameras facing the characters, and they're talking. It's, uh, you know, very simple. No, uh, no shots that are gonna make it in any, you know, cinematography compilations. It's not looking for the wow factor. Yeah, but they feel beautiful and they feel very comforting, very comfortable, very warm, very real. Like, you know, going back to the that dialogue bit, it's just very raw and uh, humanist. I might I might even go so far as to throw that fancy thing out there. Throwing out the fancy terms, making us look like uh, like real critics. Yeah, we gotta, we gotta try to... We need the cred, you know, or else they're never gonna hire us to, uh, the <laughs> film, the BBC film review at 6am every morning. We gotta get that radio slot one way or another. You imagine if they hired us? What a waste of money. I hope they don't. <laughs> I hope they do. That was Vibrator. You can find it on YouTube, probably. Uh, very hard film to find, but you can find it. And Joel, final verdict. What do you think? Yes or no? Definitely yes. Um, I think it's got a very specific audience to it. I think if you don't like slow, depressing truck rides, then it's not for you. But uh, definitely try it if you can, because uh, it is an interesting film for its time. I'm giving this a very resounding yes. This is very uh, hardcore Chandler core cinema. And if you yourself are into slow trucking montages, then uh, you can email me and we can talk. This film is very much just, uh, it'll be a scene of uh, Nawamori explaining how a truck works, a scene of something depressing, and then a trucking montage. So... It's perfect for you. God bless. Yeah, and a little sex too, for all the for all the freaks out there. Me, that part's for me. <laughs> so, we recorded the vibrator section about two weeks ago, 
And in the time between that and this section here, the queen has died, which I can only believe is because of this podcast. Almost definitely because of this podcast. And if not this podcast, definitely this next film called 19, directed by Kazushi Watanabe. And I believe we have a little bit of a synopsis duel here, Joel. Is that right? Yes, we we, we both wrote synopses because uh, we didn't. We didn't plan that far ahead. No. And there's also a little bit of inter-office rivalry going on. So, do you ever just want to get away? Well, if you're Usami, you have no choice. While out on a scooter ride, our precocious protagonist is kidnapped by a gang of three men. Yokohama, played by Kazushi Watanabe, leads the posse with the help of Happy and some guy with cool shades. I don't know his name. What starts out as a panic-filled excursion soon turns into a Stockholm Syndrome-fueled joyride. But can this budding friendship last? In this prequel to Visitor Q, three thugs in their grandmother's car kidnap a college student off the side of the road. What proceeds is 80 minutes of seedy criminal activity, including a trip to the antique store and a day at the zoo. Will the initially reluctant Usami learn what guy time is all about? Maybe. Uh uh-huh. So Chandler, uh, 19. Yes, any, 19. Any, any big thoughts? My big thought is that I'm lonely. <laughs> I'm so lonely. And um, so is our protagonist here. He doesn't really realize this at first, being, you know, kidnapped and all. But it is beautiful to see if the, the friendship bloom in this film. It's a very interesting friendship because, uh, I guess, I'm gonna say a blanket statement that we all want someone else to come and make us be their friend because that right. takes out a lot of the effort. But you know, it would make it a lot easier if uh, uh, someone else would just decide that you're friends with them now and they ended up being shockingly cool people. And you know what? In a way, it's not dissimilar to how we do become friends you know it 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 is almost like because you don't just like walk up to somebody and probe them and be like cool we're friends now there is sort of always an instant where you're sort of kidnapped by them (laughs) you know you're you're put into these it's these uh strange situations that we don't have normally in normal circumstances in in daily life that make us friends well, that's perfect for us, because obviously our, uh, our our freak chance encounter was a podcast that uh, that's right. did not succeed, and you, you kidnapped me to come and talk about a movie. And, I did. Uh, I I put a I put a, a sack over your head and said, it's going to be nice and easy, we're just going to talk about a movie you like, and then we'll see if I let you go. I was screaming up until you said only yesterday, and then I was happy. But, uh... You had a much nicer car than the people in this film. The the grandma car is really nice, though. The like the lace on the, the doilies. <laughs> it really, yeah. It's lovely. It, we don't get it for the whole film, sadly. Like, because they keep switching cars. I think it's like the perfect choice, both in terms of the fact that obviously this film's budget is like minuscule. I don't know an exact number, but you can just tell. It's somewhere around zero yen. I mean, I have heard stories that they were literally, um, the 
director, Watanabe, was like literally stealing expired film from uh, garbage cans <laughs> and using that in the camera so that they could just keep the budget as low as possible. And I think that uh, that's like commendable filmmaking, just doing whatever you can to get the film done. I love that every time. Totally. D big, big ups to the filmmakers, everybody in this film, everything that was done here. This was definitely a case of somebody giving everything to make a movie, right? This isn't a big studio production, not even a small studio production. This is somebody with zero resources making a film and that's that's very difficult yeah this is 2000 like movie industries on the on the on the decline these are you know watanabe is a outside filmmaker but he wants to make films and 19 is just a great example of you know somebody beating the odds to make something that is you know flawed i'm sure we could maybe in the next part say some some negatives or Maybe not, because we're nice. I have, I don't have much bad to say about the film, to be honest. Like, it is, yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, it is... Cheapness is subjective, really. Yeah. Yeah, because it really comes down to that, like, everything is in context of that budget. So it's like, sure, some shots are a little, you know, funky and could have used a reshoot or, you know, the acting isn't top-notch. But, you know, they did it. It um, I I I usually use this as an insult when I say it looks and feels like a student film. Like I could, one hundred percent imagine being at a university screening and seeing nineteen, but Completely. I think yeah. there there's quite a major difference in the the way that uh, Kazushi Watanabe has written this. It it feels a lot more mature than student films usually do because i think yeah this was a short i wonder if his short was a student film and then he adapted it to feature length when he got older and a little bit more wiser yeah that, that'd be definitely uh some interesting trivia to have of course you know this film is ridiculously obscure <laughs> it would be very safe to call this uh underground film, especially over here in the West. Like, I don't know anyone else who's seen it. I know a lot of people who love Japanese cinema, no one else has seen it. Yeah, it really is just uh really on the low. But I do recommend everybody see this. It's great. You can find it on YouTube. It's on YouTube now. Yeah. yeah. So give it a look, give it a watch. It's just fun, you know? In a world where film is either, you know, a profit-driven uh, Wonderland action theme park ride, where the fun is you buying into the mythos of superheroes, either like a theme park ride or like a really watered-down comedy, like this is just, this is just fun. It's just fun. Films are fun, goddammit. They really should be more fun. I'm so fucking tired of uh, films. Period and cut. I'm just so fucking tired of them. This would be actually, like, a great film for someone who's just started making films. So that you get to see uh, just how much you can get away with, like... They're, oh sure yeah again small budget a lot of it is just 
people talking to each other, if you put the work into writing, like, lovable dialogue, you can get away with just long shots of people talking to each other on the beach, or at the park, or outside of a store. You can get away with it, and you should try to, and you might fail, you probably will fail, but uh, just, just remake it later in life and it might be better. Yeah, and we're still going back to this film, despite it having those sort of constraints, and we loved it, you know? Everybody thinks that their first film is going to be Citizen Kane, and, I mean, you just can't build a building without your foundation first. You've got to put the work in to learn the rules, and then you will be able to execute perfect uh, rule-breaking later in life. I, I, I really wonder if uh, Takashi Miike has seen 19, and if that's why Kazushi Watanabe was cast in Visitor Q. Yeah, I'm sure that Miike is right down there rubbing shoulders with the underbelly of the Japanese film world. He's not, you know, he's not hanging out at, you know, Sh Shojiku Studios or, or any of the big guys, and he's not hanging out at Toho with all those big stars. I really, like, I hope that for him, because I have a lot of respect for Miike, and I think it's because he's sort of down-to-earth, not afraid to do, like, gross, weird films that should definitely be appreciated as they are without this lens of like oh visitor q that what a weird film you can still enjoy visitor q uh i don't know if i do but it, it, it's a hard film to in quote unquote enjoy we watched it together didn't we i we showed did. it to you what a mistake yeah it's very it's just mean <laughs> it's just mean <laughs> I just do these things just to see how far I can push you. Oh yeah, very, very uh, evocative. Um, I think last thing I want to bring up is, and especially when you brought up the student film aspect of it, the low budget sort of aspect, very similar to Clerks. Again, another great film to watch. You know, have your opinions on Kevin Smith. I have my opinions on Kevin Smith. <laughs> and the entirety of my opinion is the Clip Brown Taint tweet. Yeah, I love that tweet so much. But Clerks is is very much on like a very similar, you know, platform as 19. Well, they both look like dog shit, but you don't count it against them. They, they both look terrible. It's just people talking, hanging out at stores. Anyone can make a movie, clearly. Exactly. So go ahead and make a movie. Do whatever you want to. Whether you're Kevin Smith or Kazushi Watanabe with your grandma's car you know that's all it takes and you too can uh, host your own batman podcast years after your first very low budget movie so joel would you give this film a big up or a big down uh i would give this a big up i would say you might get bored i hope you wouldn't but you might but I think if you have ever made a student film, you will understand this film quite a lot from a technical <laughs> standpoint. Big up, and I'm going to give it a big up too. It's fresh, it's like alive, and even though it does have that mumblecore, slow, boring sort of aspects to it, it's just very nice to see in a sea of films that 
despite having a better budget, better, you know, privileges, everything like that, better opportunities, you know, fall short of even 19. So check it out. I am the one who runs from both the living and the dead. Mad Max Fury Road, the fourth movie set in George Miller's post-apocalypse where gasoline is hard to get and bold white men keep falling for the same thing. This time, Max is driving a truck and is in a fight with gay leather daddy Jason Voorhees. Oh, no, that's the Road Warrior. Is Fury Road the soft reboot of the Road Warrior? Who knows? At least it changed the landscape of action movies forever. Or was that John Wick? It never mind. So Chandler, are you ready to defend your position on Mad Max Fury Road? Because believe it or not, it is controversial. You're really putting me on the back foot here with the fans. I am. I really you know, am. You, d- you didn't let me sink into it. You're just going to come out here and, and expose me like that, aren't you? This is the fight of the century. Mad Max Fury Road hater versus Mad Max Fury Road. I just like it. I just think it's a good film. <laughs> Hate is 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 a strong word. It's a strong word for my feelings. I don't like it, but I wouldn't say I hate it. But you know what? Let's let's just get into it and, and see how the chips fall. You know? Let's start with what we like. And how about you start with what you like? Oh, I like the whole thing, babe, but um when I think Mad Max Fury Road, I think like Well, I think about the color palette for one. That film is like gorgeous to look at it is so like yellow which isn't usually a compliment for but for mad max it really is visually i will say that there were a lot of cool choices you know george miller you can't deny that he is somebody who uses film okay he uses color he uses light he's going to use film very similar to baz Luhrmann. Uh, I guess very similar to Baz Luhrmann in this uh, one instance. Well, well, you haven't seen you haven't seen Three Thousand Years of Longing yet. Oh shit! Looks like I'm the bigger George Miller fan. Uh, you would be. <laughs> um, but look, I much prefer Mad Max, 1979. I know that you're not as hot on the original one. I'm not. I think it's a mess. I think that the original Mad Max is a good start, but it's not a good film. It's very much like 19 in that way. Hmm. <laughs> I don't agree. Um, I think 19 is a good film. Yeah. Um, Mad Max is definitely a lot more poetic, slow, quiet. You know, obviously there are the big action stunt pieces, explosions, all that. But it is... By and far, you know, a narrative interior film, I would say. Compare that with Fury Road, which does have, you know, the sort of Mad Max uh, structural aspects. There is sort of that, you know, looking in on oneself inside this apocalypse setting, how that changes humanity, changes ourselves, or reveals things about ourselves. But look, it's just how it's done for me. You like the big explosions, stuff like that. I see it, and a lot of it is just... I'm not gonna say I don't like big explosions. Who doesn't? But (laughs) it's not about the explosions. It's the way it's edited, the way that it 
manages to track because cars cars are notoriously fast right you've been in a car you know they are supposed to be fast yes they're notoriously fast so you put cars in an action scene it is very easy to lose track of where a car is as opposed to a person the way that this film is like shot and edited and planned out these cars are always on screen and if they're not you know where they are, you know exactly when they're gonna come back. You never once, during the film, feel like it is just a mush of, like, colours. I'm thinking, like, you remember Avengers Endgame, the end of that film, which is a complete, like, mess of vomit and just... <laughs> the things are happening here, there, everywhere. They did not plan that well at all, if they planned it at all. But for Mad Max Fury Road, like, I would honestly believe that every single shot in that film was storyboarded, cars and all. I don't, I don't deny the quality. I don't deny that it was done well. It's just, I'm sorry, buddy. I'm just, I just can't, I just don't feel it. It just, it doesn't hit. It doesn't hit. I don't know what to tell you. Tell me why. <laughs> um, I had trouble the whole time you know i'm sitting there i'm in the theater i went and saw this on film which is shocking i'm 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 even more shocked that you didn't like it after seeing it on the big screen and that's it and like the feeling afterwards i didn't feel it it didn't feel that big the whole time it didn't hit just the right way you know um i I'm definitely a little different than you when it comes to sort of the kind of films that I like, the kind of films that you like. What I like in action films that I do like is less scale. Let me put it this way. I love Jackie Chan movies, okay? Love Police Story. Police Story is one of my favorite films. And I think that you could say that the levels of action per minute or just in general, is, is almost comparable. Maybe a little bit more on Mad Max Fury Road. But it all, in Jackie Chan films, to me, the action always feels very human. And in Mad Max Fury Road, it feels just part of this chaos. Which, again, I think that you like. I think that's done well. It's just, for a viewer like me, does not move me. It doesn't, like, it doesn't have the same impact but with, like, Police Story, whenever we've talked about it, we talk about that, the intro sequence, where they drive two cars. It's almost, like, poetic that you chose Police Story, because they're driving cars. They drive it... They do be driving cars. ...down a whole, like, cliffside through so many houses. That, that kind of scale is, like, more impressive when it comes to uh, action, because it is much harder to control on a set. I think that's that's what's so commendable about Fury Road, is that uh, how the fuck do you even put any of that together? And that's like, with the original Mad Max, I get that to an extent, but also the film is very s slow and boring. No, so, so I'm s sorry, George. I, and to come in on that, I, I think why I'm, I'm struggling to find the words here with this is is you know the action i it's not totally me but it isn't bad i totally agree that it's this, that it's it's good action in its own way even if it doesn't work for me the non-action parts of this film that's where the george miller of it all kind of comes out 
I, I don't think, like, none of the characters really interest me. None of the plot points feel really fleshed out. Like, when they get out to that, to where Furiosa was going, you know, that whole sequence there where they, like, try to, where they start to brave the, the flats, but then move back. Like, it, it just felt like a mess. It really did. I, I do want to bring up the uh, the infamous Chandler Fury Road review. Oh, God. In which you said, I'm just going to quote it in full here. I'm going to ask you to back up the end of it. But uh, a 2012 AAA butt rock video game of a movie, parentheses, with comparable amounts of dust and cheesy effects. Yeah. I want to hear your defense of this. I want to hear who, who the fuck are you, buddy? Okay, <laughs> cheesy effects. Come on, then. The effects were gross, dude. The they effects. Were gross. What the fuck do you mean they were gross? Do you remember the film? Of course I do. And and it's it's the effects, and that as in like what the effects are put on are good. It's just they add these gross effects, especially when like. Max remembers he gets those visions of his kid or like any of his visions or dreams and it, it just looks like it was processed with like a really shitty PS3. I think it looks fine. I think it's I think it I think it went I think it was a little before its time. It's a very short clip because it's he's remembering everyone that's died before him and I think just flashing it up a little bit it's it's genuinely it's like a composite it's not even like a notable effect i'm shocked that that's stuck in your head so much i guess it did it did not even the like car crash you didn't even bring that up you went for the uh the small flashes of a child <laughs> i can get the car crash i will defend the car crash because i think bad effects don't break a movie and i think you don't want to fucking crash a car with Tom Hardy strapped to the front of it. That's where you and I, I would love to strap Tom Hardy to a <laughs> to a burning rolling car. And drive it into a sandstorm. Tom Hardy, Tom Hardy's good in this film. I'm just, uh... In the same way that he would play a really good plank of wood. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I was gonna go into because that's the thing with Mad Max. Is he really that mad? He's just kind of stoic. He, I, and I like his performance, but it doesn't give mad. It gives tired. Yeah, he's definitely tired Max by this point. What kind of mad is he supposed to be? Is he mad as in insane or mad as in angry? I think sort of like in an Australian way. Oh, that bloke's mad. Like, just sort of take that, as you will. That, that doesn't answer my question, but uh, I thank you for trying. <laughs> um, to defend my review again real quickly, to bring up the butt rock of it all, that is another part, stylistically, which bleeds into the effects, bleeds into the story, bleeds into the where I say it's a video game sort of thing of it all. You've played the Mad Max video game. I finished it not long ago. It is an excellent game. I hate it, but it's excellent. <laughs> the thing about games, especially at this time, you know, collectathons, like little things that add time to it, little collectibles, you know, little outposts. Were there collectibles in Fury Road? Where are you going with this? He collects water. 
I, gasoline. He, I guess he needs to. He's in no, the but it, what I mean is that like it it just it just reeks of of even of like how the video games are from this time. You know, like all open world sort of video games, which have their merits that I like. But I mean, you know that I like Sleeping Dogs. It's like my favorite game. But I recognize that it is, you know, I, I call them tin can shooters where the shooting is sort of a secondhand thought. There's running, platforming, you know, cover, fighting, driving. They put a lot into it. And to pad out the fact that it doesn't actually have much of a story or much going to it, they pad it out with, you know, side missions, collectibles, things like that. And that's where it comes down to me with Mad Max, where it's like, definitely has the visuals, definitely has sort of the vision, but it doesn't have much of, you know, the mechanics, the basics to back it up. And so it sort of drags out for me. What would you consider to be the basics of an action film? I think that you just need you don't need you know the the plot to end all plots you don't need the deepest you know connections here but just a just a little bit more than than what we got you know i just i think that furiosa and her crew the the woman that she escapes with are like good in concept and that's a really cool idea but they the the movie sort of expects you to get them and empathize with them so even if you know nothing about them if they die when they die there are some of them that do die you know you have sort of a connection to them but i did not get the same reaction when some of them died that i have with other action films because i just didn't have the connection there i didn't have anything to really go off of other than them just kind of being basic plot pawns for the story i want to know what your definition of butt rock is because it is a term that I come across like maybe three times a year and every time it has a different definition. This movie was a like a nine inch nail music video. I need to be controversial here. This is the first thing that people are going to get of me. You're just gonna start being controversial. I, I need I need them to have this moment to point back to to show that i'm the heel of this podcast it's going to switch at some point as soon as we bring up anything as any good yeah, as any good wrestling storyline goes I, w I will have my redemption the minute we bring up a very critically acclaimed movie and i say the phrase not as good as horror it's it's just gonna happen <laughs> just you wait i'm sorry that i don't have i, I just like, I really wanted to talk about this film because of the road trip theme of this all. I think it was funny. At this point, we've crashed the car into a ditch, so... Much like Tom Hardy, we are currently covered in gasoline and being tied to the back of a car because... I, I just don't think... I want you to say some more good things that you like about it because... It's one of those situations where it's like, you know, you're asking me to, to talk about something I don't like. So, of course, I'm just gonna... <laughs> I'm just gonna look like an absolute asshole here. You, on the other hand... I don't think you look like an asshole, though. I wanted to talk to you about this because I genuinely never come across people who don't like Fury Road. I think maybe you're the chosen one. Maybe you can shake up the game. Yeah, because even, like, 
film bros or like less bro like like film adjacent people like people who are more cinematic than the than the average bunch people from my dad to like martin scorsese that's the spectrum and yeah all of them like fury road and here you are like beyond scorsese apparently i am the messiah I am the second coming. I, w- I would really like to know what the ideal Chandler action movie has in it. If you were to make one, what would you have in your action movie? That isn't in Fury Road. That isn't in Fury Road. I would have three gangsters, a kind of shy dude, and just, a, just, just some antics. Going to the arcade, going to the supermarket, you know, pushing some people. Hanging out on the beach. Yeah. Stealing cars. I was half expecting you to say Stone Cold. Ooh, Stone Cold. Stone Cold. So that's our review for Stone Cold. So, Chandler, is this film uh, right or wrong? Joel, I'm going to have to give this a wrong. Oh, <laughs> fuck. I I'm, don't know why I'm shocked. I expected this. We just had a whole discussion <laughs> about it. but I Just, you know, arrow straight through your chest there. I think that, you know, it just fails as an action film not because of the action not because of the visuals but because it just is a big airbag covered with dirt and dust and grime and i feel like i would see this as background video at a nickelback concert you cannot see my face right now i am flabbergasted uh this film is 100 percent right this film is I, I mean as i said in my intro i genuinely think that action movies should have taken more from this film than they did from John Wick because this is fun, it is energetic, and it's been talked about to death, so I, I'm i sorry. I'm gonna rip your thyroid out with my bare teeth. I don't know if that one's staying in. <laughs> so, that's it. Episode 1. Moments of fancy, moments of light and and beauty, and also moments of deep despair. Just like an average highway drive, you know? Sometimes you look to the left and see a field of sheep. You look to the right and you see a horrific car accident. We had our squabbles, but I'm gonna put the radio on now. We're gonna, like, relax, and we'll see you at the next rest stop. Alright, I'm stopping the fucking record. And kill.